Now, how many of you believe the words of the song? So, if we believe the words of the song, how many of us are doing it? Don't ask that question. <laughs> no, I think it's a good question, you know, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. I think one of the best things we can do is get our eyes off of us and the eyes on the other people. It's interesting, you also sang, uh, we sang earlier, Blessed Assurance. How many of you saw the second third stanza? Perfect submission, what's the next thing? Perfect delight. Perfect delight. And the last stanza, perfect submission. All is at rest. How many times do we not have rest because we haven't submitted like we should? I think it's very important for us to look at it. Uh, her song and all the others today fit real well with what we're going through. Remember, we're going through a series on living victoriously during some difficult times, and I think we're in difficult times. I think it's going to get a lot more difficult in our country, and it is very difficult around the world. Never forget the uh, bring back a few memories for Gene. 1974 and 1975, when I was in college, there were several ladies that came up with a list of guys, and I called it the CCC Club. And I said, what in the world? I asked one of them, I said, what is CCC Club? They said, that's the Calm, Cool, and Collective Club. <laughs> now, who all was on it and why? You know, like I said, I don't know, but they had it. And uh, I like to take those same three letters, only apply it to living victoriously in our lives. Just think of that. What I'm looking at is what about the causes of trials? And we won't get all of them, but we'll look at some of them. Also, what about the cop, the uh, conduct to copy during trials? We'll look at. Is there somebody that I can watch and look at and say, okay, that's how they handle it. I want to do what they did. And then the third is, what about some choices do I need to make during trials? So, causes of trials, the conduct to copy, and then choices to make. The causes of trials, and you can tell me others you wouldn't need afterward if you'd like, but I was thinking about it, came up with six. First one, like I said, we don't have to go to all of these, look at some. One is the plight of mankind. Genesis chapter 3, what did it tell in, in Genesis 3? About the fall of man, woman's going to have pain in childbirth, and the man is going to be worked by the sweat of his brow, and he's going to have thorns and everything else. Apply to mankind, we're going to have trials. And we saw last week in James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brother, when, when you encounter various trials. We are going to have, that's the plight of mankind. Believe or not, believe it, we will have trials. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's look at a couple of more. And we'll look at several of them. 1 Peter chapter 2, you notice in verse 18. 18 and 19. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. This finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a man bears under the sorrow when suffered unjustly. Poor leadership causes trials. I think right now we're having that in our country over the last 20 years. We're $30 trillion in debt. That is going to be trials 
for people for a long time. So I think about poor leadership, and you have that wherever we're at. Poor leadership. You have that in the book of Judges, when the people, the leadership failed, and the people then turned from God, trials came. They turned back to God, and they'd be rescued, and they go back over and over. So well, you have poor leadership, you have the supply of mankind. Notice when you get to verse 20, you have another one. What credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure with patience? Personal sin. This last week I was going down Southwest Boulevard and they're doing all kinds of construction down by where Norman did his work. They're redoing all the roads. Speed limit 25. Well, and it's normally 40 or 45. Well, I'm going through there and all of a sudden I see a, a highway, or I see a policeman on a motorcycle. What's the first thing you do? You look immediately at your speed. Well, I was doing 28. Well, he didn't stop me. He let me go on by. But I thought, well, I was, I was speeding. If he pulled me over, I can't argue. But still, it's one of those deals. Personal sin is another reason why we can have problems. You make poor decisions and you invest or you buy things you shouldn't have bought on credit cards, do whatever you want. That can lead to trials because of doing things we shouldn't have done. Let's look over in John chapter 9. So you have the plight of mankind. It can be personal leadership. It can be personal sin. John chapter 9, we uh, know the story well when a young man is born blind. And he's of age, so he's been blind for how long? Think about it. I don't think that really sinks in so much of the time. He was born blind and he is of age now, so he has been blind in a long time. And notice then, in verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Now their reasoning is because of what you find in Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. Remember it said if you sin, it would be visited on the... Uh, the parents and then on the kid and children from third to fourth generation. So their question comes down, and then who sinned? His parents sinned or his grandparents sinned, and they're suffering the consequences. But then also you think about it, or his sin. If he's born blind, he'd have to have sinned where? In the womb, and their support for that, which I don't see, but their support for that is Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4. Talking about the soul will die, talking about the sin. How in the world someone can sin inside the womb, I don't know. But anyway, so that's, notice the disciples are asking the question. Things they've been taught, so they're thinking there has to be a, we have to be able to blame somebody for what's taking place. But notice, I think it's interesting, what does Jesus say? And then in verse 3, it was neither this man's sin nor his parents but it is in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. It was planned by God to reveal his work. So this man has been blind all these years so that Jesus could heal him because the Old Testament prophecy said that the promised Messiah was going to heal the blind and everything else. So you meet this man and his parents have put up have dealt with this, God's plan for
for God's glory. I think it's important for us to recognize as we look at it, why does God allow things in our life? Is there something that He's planning, He's wanting to reveal through us to other people? So a bigger question we need to be asking ourselves is, what do I need to learn? What do I need to show? Whatever it may be. But notice besides being the plan to reveal God's work, look over in 2 Corinthians 7. If you remember, Paul had the thorn of the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. There's been a lot of speculation, but that's all it is, speculation. So you notice it's planned to reveal God's work. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 7 and to verse 10. A fifth one would be permitted for a purpose. Notice the purpose. In verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the revelations Paul was given. You remember he had a lot. He wrote book-wise half the New Testament. He was given the mystery of 1 Thessalonians 4 about the rapture. He's given the mystery in 1 Corinthians 15 about whether it all be changed the moment the twinkling of an eye. He was given a lot of special revelations. And notice it says, To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn of the flesh, the messenger of Satan above me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might be depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast in my weakness than the power of Christ may dwell in me. Notice, permitted for a purpose. It's an interesting deal that you have there. Permitted for a purpose. And uh, we'll look more at this passage here in a minute. Uh, but it's interesting you look at it. He had a trial God did it for a particular purpose and that was to keep him humble how many of you could have thought a lot of other ways to keep you humble and notice it came from Satan God allowed it and Satan did it so I think it's important and then obviously the last one I'd like to look at is a public display of character look over in Job chapter 1 we all and are very familiar with Job Job didn't know about chapter 1 and chapter 2 on parts of it, did he? He knew about what he experienced, but he didn't know about the stuff going on in heaven. Uh, according to <clears throat> Revelation chapter 12, you realize too that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's accusing us daily. So he, he did this with Job. He's doing this today. And his followers are as well. And according to Revelation 12, he'll do that until the middle of the tribulation. So I think it's important to recognize what he, what Satan was doing then, he still does today. But I want you to notice the public display of character would be the sixth one. And if you look at it, we find some interesting things that are being said about Job. If you notice in uh, verse 7, chapter 1, The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered, From roaming around the earth and walking around on it. You also find in verse 6 the... Uh, his follower demons were with him. And notice in verse 8, it's interesting what you have here when you look at it. The proclamation. Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. Now, it is an amazing, amazing statement. There is no one in all the world as righteous as Job is blameless. So notice then, that's the proclamation. Notice the protection 
that is being said by Satan. Satan answered and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Has thou not made a hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hands, his possession have creased and lent. Oh yeah, he's doing great. You got a hedge around him, I can't touch him. And that's true, by the way, you look in the first we saw last week, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Nothing can come into our lives that God does not allow. So if God allows, the better question is, what is he allowing for? What do I need to learn from it? But notice it's interesting, a public display that you have. Notice then in verse 11 what his premise is. This is Satan. Put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse thee to your faith. Okay, I haven't been able to touch anything he has or anything, but in other words, he's saying what? He serves you and he's righteous because of what you do for him. You take your hand away from all his possessions and his family, and his righteousness isn't there. God says it is. Satan says it isn't. So notice what God says then in verse 12. Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth a hand on him. Satan departed. It happened that day. And you read from verse 13 down to 19, what happens? He loses everything. He loses all his sons, his daughters, he loses all his possessions, he loses everything. In one day, and by the way, Satan is the ruler of this world and he can cause all this to take place in your life, my life, whatever it might be with God's permission. So notice then you think about it public display of character. God, you ever wondered why God allows things in your life? He's wanting you to show your character to people around you that you are really following me for the right reason. It's interesting, so he's given permission in verse 12 to 19. Now we notice that he does well, which we'll look at in a minute. When you look in chapter 2, he, he's, uh, he uh, makes the first test. And the second one, notice what he has when he makes it. God does the same thing when you look at it in verse 4 to 6. If you notice in verse 3, we'll go back to 3. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And remember, this is after he's lost everything. For there is no one like him in all the earth, a blameless, upright man, fearing God, turning away of evil, and he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered and said, Skin for skin, it's all that a man has he'll give for his life. However, put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse thee to his face, your face. Lord said, Behold, he's in your power, only spare his life. And then all of a sudden you have all these boils and the tremendous pain he's in. So notice then, when you look at it, the public display of character. God says he will, he will stay true to me. Satan is saying, No, he won't. He's only doing this because of what you're doing for him. Job has these trials. Job doesn't know why. He just also has these trials coming in his life. Possessions, his family, and then his personal health. All of it. When you stop and think about it, what are or what is the cause of your trials? 
We have listed six of them there. Apply to mankind, poor leadership, personal sin, plan to reveal God's work, permitted for a purpose, or it could be to public display of your character, of who you are. That's part of why in James chapter 1 we saw last week we're told to do what? Ask God for wisdom. God, how in the world are we going to know? If there's sin in your life, we need to find out to confess If I'm supposed to be revealing something, I need to know. If it's a purpose like, this is what I'm doing to keep you humble, I need to know that. And why we have to ask. So think about it. The causes of trials are here. But how are we responding? Do we pray and ask God for understanding? Endurance and so on. So notice then that's the first thing. The first C is the cause. There's a lot of different causes. But what about our conduct? And so we just, since we're in the book of Job, let's look how, let's look at the conduct of Job. Okay, the first one, if you go back to chapter 1, he loses everything, all his possessions. Notice in verse 20, he acknowledges his losses. Job rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the, to the ground, and what? Now, I think most of us can understand everything but the last word. He worshipped. Everything he had, he had because of what? God's grace. How many of us are thankful for what we have, but we're very unthankful when it's taken away? So notice he acknowledges his losses. Notice in 21 and 22, he accepts God's sovereignty. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. That's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that's making these statements. You can also see why God said he's the most righteous man on the face of the earth at this time. But notice, again, he's revealing his character. Trials do that. Reveal who you are or what you are, what you are not. But notice he acknowledged his losses, he accepted God's sovereignty, Notice in chapter 2, after he has all these sores, and we don't know for how long, you know, we really don't know how long he was suffering all this. It has to be for some time for his friends to come to him, his friends then sit around for, which I have to give his friends credit, in verse 9 down to 13. They were with him for seven days. They don't even recognize that he is in so much pain and disfiguration. They do not say one word for seven days. That's amazing. How many times do you have people get together and can they be quiet for five minutes without telling you? But notice, I think, the fourth one that you have on the conduct of Job. Notice in verse 9 and 10. His wife said to him, Do you still hold your integrity? Curse God and die. Is that what most of us would do? Notice what he says. He said to you, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I want you to think about that. Does he accept his present situation? He doesn't know why, and he will contend with God, wants to know answers, which God never really gives him the answer. Because he said, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts, I'm higher than yours, you wouldn't understand all of it anyway. 
But I think it's interesting how he does it. Go over to chapter 6. We'll have another one. Conduct. So knowledge is lost. Except God's sovereignty. Except his present situation. What about in chapter 6? If you remember, he's wanting basically to die. Wants God to kill him. And notice in verse 10 of chapter 6. It is still my consolation, and I rejoice in an unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Think about it. Is he aligned to the end? I am not going to do it. No matter how bad he gets, no matter what it is, no matter what everybody else is telling me, I'm aligned to the end. You think about it. We saw that last week. He also saw in James chapter 5 and verse 11, he's talking about being patient, and it, or not patient, but perseverance. He uses Job, the perseverance of Job. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, what does it say? Promise to all those who endure to the end with trials, they're promised what? The crown of life. Persevering to the end. Is Job going to have a crown of life? Yes. He most certainly will. He most certainly will. So you're thinking about it, he was approved. He didn't, we don't know how long he went through the suffering. But notice it's interesting, we do know that he said he would, God said he was righteous and followed him as a righteous man, irregardless of what he had, his health, or any possessions. Satan said, no, he won't. But we know the answer. Job did. He passed the test. And think about it. What aspect of Job's conduct during his trials do I need to copy today? Do I need to acknowledge losses? There's some people who won't acknowledge different things when happening. Do I need to accept God's over everything? Do I need to accept my situation? Do I need to basically align to the end? No matter what happens, I'm staying true. I think it's interesting when we look at those things, we have, you know, the context of Job. We always look at the conduct and we admire him greatly. But why is it in Scripture? Is it not in Scripture for us to learn from and to copy? Satan is accusing us too. He's called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12. In fact, why don't you turn to Revelation 12? I wouldn't give it to you, but I will have. It's always dangerous when you get on the rabbit trail. Revelation chapter 12. You have a war in heaven and you have a war on earth in Revelation 12. It's during the tribulation, and you'll notice in verse 10, talking about Satan, the last half verse 10 of chapter 12 for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down coming from heaven who accuses them before God day and night so where is he right now and who's he accusing brethren not just the super what we would call a super saint Job he's accusing all of us but notice how did the people how are they going to overcome him during the tribulation the same way we overcome Notice in verse 11. They overcame him, number one, because of the blood of the Lamb. Are they a Christian? Yes. Second, because of the word of their testimony. Character. Number three, 
And they did not love their life even to death. Were they willing to die for it? Yes. We're the same way today. He's accusing us. Are we a believer? What kind of character do we have? Are we willing to suffer no matter what, even if it's death? Isn't that what you had in Daniel chapter 3 when they threw him in the fiery furnace? Isn't that what you have in Daniel chapter 6 when they threw Daniel in the lion's den? I am not changing. I'm willing to suffer. Proven character for all those in those men that we had just mentioned. So think about it. Here you have the conduct of Job. What about the conduct of Paul back in 2 Corinthians 12? You remember he has the thorn of the flesh. And I think we can learn from him as well. And that's 2 Corinthians 12. If you remember, I read it for you. Did he ask God to change the circumstances? Three times? Okay. We can do the same thing. Things are tough. We don't understand. The thorn of the flesh. We can ask God to change. And it comes from Satan. I've never talked with Rosemary before when making a statement that she felt like some of the health issues she was having was because of Satan. And that's true for all of us. It can be. I'll never forget when I was in college and all of us, you know, I was working at UPS, going to school full time, and I, I couldn't keep anything down. I'd eat and I just couldn't keep things down. I lost 15 pounds. Well, at that time, I didn't have 15 pounds to lose. Now, today I could lose 15 pounds and nobody would notice. But I couldn't lose it then. And I mean, I, I thought of everything. I confessed everything. I, I couldn't think of anything else. What you know? What's going on? Now I can remember just like yesterday. We had a the library was three stories, third floor. Nobody ever went up there, ever. Now I just went up there and poured my heart out to the Lord and just said, "If this is of Satan, please take it from me." I don't know what's going on. But you obviously, when you're trying to work and you you can't eat and you can't keep it down, just physically you were just you're at the end. I just had peace, walked down, and I ate, never had a problem after that. So again, you don't know what it is. It can be because of sin. You have the same thing when you look at uh, David with sin with Bathsheba. What happened to the child? God prayed that he prayed to God that he would have mercy. But God said, and he also told him he was going to suffer, and his nation would suffer, his family would suffer fourfold and did the rest of his life. There are consequences to sin, but I want you to notice, though, you look at it, he asked God to change his circumstances, and there's nothing wrong with asking God to change circumstances. We should. Because we're showing a dependency on him. We're commanded to ask him. But notice the second thing, he acknowledges the source of his problem. He recognizes it coming from Satan. It's amazing how many times when we have all the different physical issues we have, do we ever stop and think it's Satan. We usually come up with everything else. We never stop and think of what it could be. I think also, notice how many of us are willing to do what he does here when Paul when God said no. How many of us are willing to accept God's answer if it's no? Or if it's wait? We only want what answer? We only want yes when it's my way in my time. And I think it's important to know we have to... How many of this why Garth Brooks had the good song out there, isn't it? Thank God for unanswered prayer. 
How many of you ever look back and realize some of the things that you prayed for and then you saw what might actually be and I'm so thankful you didn't get it? Uh, can be a lot of things. So think about it, the conduct of Paul. You saw the contact of Job. He acknowledged his losses. He accepted God's sovereignty. His situation, he stayed true to the end and he will get a crown. The conduct of Paul, he asked for a change. He recognizes where it comes from. But he accepts God's answer and then also he accepts his provision. Okay, he said no, but you're going to help me God get through this whatever it might be whatever ailment whatever it was I think it's interesting who do you turn to first in your trial who should we be turning to but who do we usually turn to first we turn to our own sources or anything else and try to answer it all or other people we should be turning to God and what happens if he tells us no How many times do we get bitter when God says no? Does He not tell us in Matthew that He doesn't give, we don't give our children snakes when they ask for it. We give what's best for them. And a lot of times we think we know what's best when we really don't. Uh, they'll always want different things. If you give them the, the little one candy, if you give them the whole sack, what will they do? And then what's going to happen? Either bounce off the wall or they're going to have a stomach ache that you won't quit. And they get upset with you and you tell them no. Same thing is true with our Heavenly Father. So here we have, if you think about it, we have the different causes of trials. We looked at six of them. You have the conduct to copy, the conduct of Job. And you have the conduct then also of Paul. Let's look also at some choices we need to make. And one of my favorite passages is in the book of Philippians. Chapter 4. And the reason Philippians is my tendency is uh, melancholy and it's caught off to look at the negative side. And so I, Lord has used it in my life. But notice, I think it's interesting. First of all, is your attitude. Who controls your attitude? We do, but we usually say circumstances do, and that's where it's wrong. But notice in verse 4, Paul writes this and he's in jail in Rome it's the only time we repeat something in this text kind of interesting rejoice in the Lord always again I say what rejoice notice he says rejoice in the Lord now that's critical look at what God has done for you no matter not your circumstances <coughs> has he died on the cross for your sins It'll never leave you nor forsake you. You have all these different things that He's done for you and is doing for you. And He's there with you in the cell, whatever it might be. So one is our attitude. Always look at what He is and who He is and what He's doing for us. And so I think it's important. Notice the second thing. What about your action? Notice it said, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The action, that's actually non-retaliatory something happens to you, how many of you want to retaliate? And why does he say the Lord is near? Is he the judge? Hebrews 9.27, after death comes judgment. If I died today, if Paul died today from there, where would he go? He'd go, he'd have to go answer to the 
Father. If he's near, does he also see what's going on? The tendency is going to be to retaliate when things aren't well. And so much of the suffering comes, and by the way, Paul's, I mean, uh, Job's suffering came by way of Satan, but it also came by way of people, didn't it? Satan used people to do things. And I always want to retaliate against those people. And that's why we're told in Romans, vengeance is what? Mine. So notice we have the attitude, we have actions. What about anxiety? Any of you have any trouble with anxiety? Or is it just a couple? It runs in my family. My grandmother, you know, I remember being with her in the coming agricultural place in Iowa, praying for rain. And then a big storm's coming up, and then she worries about what? Well, then it might be hail, or it might be too much rain. You know, it's just, you, you know, if you want something to worry about, and, and one of you know, very godly woman, but it's needs to say, we can worry about everything. Well, notice what does he tell you? Be anxious, his plea was be anxious for nothing. And where is he writing this from? And the second time he's there, he's going to die. Notice then also his prayer, but in some things, by prayer and supplication with so no matter how bad or what's going on we bring our supplications our petitions to the Lord and we're honest and that but we should always have something to be thankful for and look at your prayer life over just the last week how much of it was asking demanding and how much of it was thanking and look at any of the great prayers of the Old Testament and you will find all of this in it all of it. Notice the anxiety. Isn't that what you have in 1 Peter 5? Cast all your care what? Hebrews 13. I will never what? Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Trust in the Lord with and with okay. I think it's in, but you know, we have scripture. We have all of it. Well, notice the alignment. It's interesting. Mentally. Finally, brethren, notice this is plural. Whatever is pure, whatever is or true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on this. How many of us have our mind dwelling on that? Or do we dwell on the lower and bad stuff? Again, it's a choice, isn't it? But notice this word mimic. Notice in the next one in verse 9, I don't think you think about it. Lining mentally with all the things that are good. Thinking about it. Because it's important. The things you have heard, learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me, practicing. Told the memory. Actually, that is the word that's used, but you look at it. Paul tells you it's interesting when talking about the memory. 1 Corinthians 4, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me like I imitate Christ. Writes 1 Thessalonians, imitate me. Second, in chapter 4, imitate me. How many of you have ever thought about why is God allowing things to happen in your life? Is it so that you then can turn to your kids or your grandkids and say what? Imitate me. Or how many of you are saying, don't imitate me? It's an interesting question. 
job everywhere else. Why do these trials and things happen at work so that you then can show your character and how to handle things so people can see it and they'll see that you're a believer and want what you have. So we've seen the causes. We've seen the conduct of Job, conduct of Paul, choices, our attitudes, our actions. You think about it, the alignment. We all have something to do this week, don't we? And we're all promised what? Trials. So we all can know what to do with our conduct, and we all know what choices we need to make. It's just that we need to make it. And so if you're like me, you need a lot of wisdom when we face it, because you have a lot of different 